Next up on Everything Thought Leadership is Mara Stefan. She leads thought leadership at Manpower Group, a nearly $20 billion multinational staffing firm. Mara and I go back a long way. We first met when Mara was a partner at client server computing PR powerhouse Horn Group. She later moved to Boston to establish the agency's East Coast headquarters. Mara later co-founded her own firm, Emerge PR. She joined Cognizant to lead the thought leadership marketing and strategic communications at Cognizant Center for the Future of Work. She left Cognizant to join ADECO, where she led the firm's thought leadership program. While at ADECO, she launched a digital thought leadership publication called Insights Magazine and led the firm's thought leadership charge at the 2022 WEF Annual Meeting in Davos. Our conversation today will cover Mara's career arc and work with technology industry leading lights, the role of thought leadership in tech products and services and beyond, her thinking on media and speaking partnerships to get thought leadership and audience at scale and into the hearts, minds, and eventually pocketbooks of the target audience. Those are the folks that truly matter. Can you walk us through your career arc and how you landed as a thought leadership professional? Well, so I started out doing uh, tech PR in my early kind of post-college days. And I worked like, I worked at an agency that was both advertising and PR. They were all tech companies kind of coming out of the, um, the Portland, Oregon area. And so learning how to pitch the media was part of my internship. They eventually hired me into a, a formal account executive position. And these were back in the days when you would pitch clients to the media and then get on an airplane and go meet them in person. And so those days have changed quite a bit, as you can imagine. Um, as I built my career in, in PR, it was always looking for how do you position a young company against the big players? And I can, I can kind of take you through a, maybe two decades of my career where taking on the, the big player with the young tech startup was, was kind of what, what I did, either for an agency that I worked for when I was a partner in Horn Group, as you know, or even when I started my own agency, did that for, I think it was about 14 years uh, before coming in-house to, to work with you at, at Cognizant. But, but the kind of the common theme was young, young players, young companies couldn't differentiate themselves just on doing traditional PR. Because the traditional PR is, it's very scripted. It's a press release. It's a media campaign. There's a, a set of activities that you do on a very consistent basis. And thought leadership, maybe we didn't call it that early days, but what we were really looking to do was go in and do a positioning workshop with a, with a young tech startup and say, how are you different? How are you going to win against this player or that player in the market? Customers are going to use your your products. And it's ironic that you mentioned Jeff Moore, because back in those days, Jeff was writing the, the kind of the Bible, if you will, on how young companies could get across the chasm. That, that first book of his was so instrumental for the tech companies because they were using that as their playbook. We didn't call it that, but that's what it was in terms of getting across the chasm. And so you needed to find ways to establish credibility in small subsectors and own that subsector before you moved on to the next one. We had this whole analogy and the metaphor of the bowling alley. You'd have to like kind of set up all the pins before you could actually realize market dominance. And so if we were working with companies that were thinking about that, then we were thinking about, well, how are they going to be different? How can we stand up the best assets this company has? Are they going to win on technology? Are they going to beat the big guys because they're cheaper? Are they going to be able to compete in the marketplace because they've got a, a CEO who is well uh, established, has a great track record, has come from other big companies and has already kind of got some credit, credibility before he or she walks in the room? Um, who funded them? And so all of these, these factors kind of led us to understand this is a company that's the, that we're going to have um, an easier time positioning in the market because we've got all of these different criteria. And so early thought leadership was around those, those kinds of things. Um, when I got to Horn Group, I was a new mom and just learning how to manage my career and, and raise a child. And, you know, it was a lot of work for me to manage and figure that out. Um, eventually, when I became a partner in the firm, it was, you know, it was pretty amazing. It was one of those moments where you think, be careful what you ask for, because it's not like things are going to be less work and quieter now. But I'm really glad that I pursued that because it gave me the confidence and the credibility 
I needed in my career to go in and have a conversation with a Philippe Kahn or a Dave Duffield or any of these other executives. That for me as a woman in, in tech in particular, it's a theme that I keep coming back to, but women in tech, you know, we have to earn our stripes a little differently. And so being able to kind of work with and have a, a partner role within a firm that had great reputation and you knew us then. And that, I think that's, we kind of came together and started working with you when you were the managing editor. The client server magazine, yeah, right. So when we were when we were kind of like bringing all those companies along, I remember you and I would talk about like, well, what's this company doing that's different then? And you'd always kind of give us a little bit of the acid test. Does it work? Tell me, Mara, is like you know what's going on? And so I Do they have real clients. You had a whole checklist of things that, that mattered for us, so we knew uh, we would pass that test if we had a client that was ready that had all those things going for it. And in those days, you'd have to tell a CEO, your technology may be fantastic. You're not ready. You don't have this. You don't have that. We're not ready to put you forward. And it's, you're going you're gonna to thank us later. You may not know that now, but you're going to thank us later. And, and so many, many uh, executives along the way were, were eager and ready and made it and went through their, um, I remember thinking like in the mid-90s with all the IPOs and the companies that we were able to kind of bring forward. And then it became kind of a joke because PeopleSoft had been one of our biggest clients at Horn Group. And then they bought all our other young companies. And we were like, we're going to have no clients left because they keep acquiring every one of them. And we're talking like six or seven companies over maybe a five-year period. It was quite a bit of acquisition going on back in, in those days. And so, uh, and they knew because they were like, they were watching and seeing the work we were doing for these, these companies. So that was fun. When I started my own PR firm, Emerge PR. I did that after my second son was born. It is ironic how you make major moves in your career around your children, at least as a mom, I did. And I felt like at that point, it was time to do what I knew how to do, but do it on my terms. Um, Be able to kind of set up my business in a way that allowed me more flexibility. And as I started to bring Emerge PR forward, I, I brought all the lessons of my early days all my major lessons with with Sabrina Horn and we we remain good friends today as you know and and have just nothing but great re, you know regard and and true love for each other after all the the trials and tribulations we've been through you were in um, some foxholes together weren't you we've been in many foxholes it's a good way to describe it and so uh emerge pr became uh, and the reason I named it Emerge PR was like, where do I, what do I do best if I'm thinking about my career? And so at that point, by the time Emerge was formed, it was like, I'm helping companies emerge, right? They're not necessarily the, the brand new startups, not necessarily the, the big publicly held companies, but there's this, this group of companies. And this is back in 2005. <laughs> so we're going back a bit. Uh, those were the companies that were like in that emerging growth sector. They had they had VC funding. The early lessons from Horn Group had had taught me well. Like, what were the companies like? What what's a company you say yes to? It's one that has it has VC funding, an experienced CEO. It has technology that's actually been proven, and the analysts have looked at it, and it's you know it's got some some support coming behind it. There are companies that are actually using it. There. Marketing and oh, by the way, they're willing to, to invest in marketing and PR. If companies not willing to do that, it was going to be very hard for, for us to do more. So Emerge PR was was my um, like to call it my third child as I was building that out over about 14 years. And um, and then making the kind of the later career pivot to come over to Cognizant. And um, I blame you entirely. You're the reason well, I you. got there. <laughs> Um, but helping do the book launches because I had done the work with Patty Siebold, as you noted, and Jeff Moore, a very early client and helping him with several books, but um, starting with Crossing the Chasm and then moving on to, I think I did probably two or three other books with him um, and then Patty and then other authors as well. So when you asked me to come and help the uh, the guys from the Center for the Future of Work stand up their book code Halos, I was, I was super excited to, to help there. That was a fun project. So interestingly enough, you talked about the checklist and making yeah. sure your clients were ready to be heard above the din and take yeah. their place in the market so that you could build a platform for them that would be taken seriously. Now, you've worked with some very interesting characters over the years. I noted Philippe Kahn, Dave Duffield, the salt of the earth, just be- wonderful man, Hattie, very smart, really focused individual, the guys from the Center for the Future work at Cognizant. So how do you approach 
extracting the best and brightest from the minds of such brilliant people and at the same time managing those egos. Yeah, uh, some are easier than others, honestly. <laughs> uh, there's no, uh, no one way I would say. Um, I think it starts with earning their, their trust and their respect. And that probably when I was mentioning earlier, you know, when I had the partner title or I had the founder title, this is my agency, I've done this work. I remember thinking, I'm telling my, my colleagues one day, well, I'm an entrepreneur too. I've done the work. I've done the business launch. I've hired people. I've fired people. I have, I'm in the trenches doing entrepreneurial work. And I've been at this for a very long time. So in, in that way, um, I would like to think of myself as an equal. And it may be that the company's bigger, but the experience isn't less relevant. And so that helps neutralize the ego. And sometimes with, with really bright people, it's acknowledging how bright they are. And, and I mean that without being a patronizing, really, truly like looking at somebody and saying, so our friend, you and I have many friends, but some of our friends, right, the guys from the center, they're brilliant. They really are. And I, to this day, will probably not have, have worked with so many, so many people along my career that are, are as brilliant as those folks are. And, and to be able to kind of have that one-on-one -on -one conversation, I think you also have to bring your human side. You know, we read a lot about right now, ironic, their, their book about the second book on what to do when machines do everything. And it was all about the AI move and, you know, kind of dehumanizing. I've been doing a, a help with the book launch at my current role, which is all about I human and kind of how we get back to the human side. And I feel like in, in the case with, with some of these folks, you got to bring the human side. You got to just like meet them person to person, egos aside, like, what are we trying to accomplish? What can I do? And I always start conversations with executives. I'm here to help you. <laughs> Here's what I'm you know, thinking. I'm here to help. Let me think about ways to support you or help you. And I think that that really supports uh, anyone's ego, really. It's just to, to be able to kind of get to the heart of the matter, which is like, what can I do? How am I going to help this person? And it's not just watering down their brilliance. It's not really making it so it's understandable and will resonate with people that they want to have influence over or at least have conversations with. Yeah. You're talking above their heads. It doesn't really do you any good, does it? I had I had one client, one well, actually, one of my colleagues, I wouldn't say client, but um, we had uh, issued a report right as the pandemic began. I think you might remember this. Um, and I'll, I'll keep the names out. But but the report was something we all worked on. You and I worked both working on it. And it was early, kind of early days on what we were going to do to get this report in the market. The world has shut down. We're all freaking out. No any idea what's coming and we were really fast to move I think it was like 12 days from the time we we brainstormed as a, a collective group at the Center for the Future work to the time we got the the report ready to go and published and what I I remember thinking is like wow we're really early and this is good and it's kind of maybe not good and one of our colleagues was really um proud of the work we all were but but in particular wanting to know why the world wasn't writing about it immediately. And I had to say, well, let's let's kind of take a step back, right? This is a this is a remarkable report. And it was. And I, I loved everything that we were saying, but we're putting a report out 14 days into something we have no idea about. The world's not ready for this report. That doesn't mean it's not going to be valuable. It's not going to be appreciated or it's not going to be written about in the future, but our timing may be early. And then I said, keep in mind who we are. And I'll never forget this. And I said, we're the center for the future of work. That makes us futurists. We're thinking about the future. The world right now is like in the trenches trying to figure this out. So we've got to rethink the timing on this. And that was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, this is not an easy conversation to have with a colleague, a superior in particular, <laughs> to be able to say, this is what, this is why, and this is how. I mean, that's a really good, good thought. I mean, yeah. A, what if you do really great work? And you're really proud of it, but nobody hears about it. Nobody knows about it. Whether there's existential threats or not, it's sometimes hard getting heard through the din. Right. So in, in your mind, where does PR end and thought leadership begin? So you're, you're putting the quality into your work, getting those ideas developed, and then you're disseminating them, channelizing them so that they're reaching the right people at the right time and place where they can really do something with it. Yeah. Um, so when I think about really good thought leadership, and I know you and I are of the same mind when we think about what, what it is, what it isn't, um, PR tends to be in my mind now, right? And again, I've got more than 20 years doing PR in some form or fashion, and I'm never going to step too far away from it because I understand the needs and its value. 
but I've been able to think about thought leadership as more of the, the engine. We're creating the content and the assets, and we're really looking beyond just the media as one channel for the activity and the exposure for the, the content and the assets that we're going to develop. It's the activation arm, but so is social media, and actually, frankly, so is sales. And so where I sit right now at Manpower Group is in between all of those, those parts of our commercial business. And I support all of them. And my team, I have an amazing small but mighty team where we're able to kind of support a lot of different stakeholders. And when I would have been just thinking about PR, it would always be, what's the story I'm going to tell to the media? It, it was that audience and that channel. And so there's a need for that. But I think PR, corporate communications and some of the bigger companies that you and I know there are a lot of other metrics and things that, that that organization has to think about that I no longer do. I'm not, I'm not worrying about earnings. I'm not worrying about creating uh, presentations for the board and a lot of structured things that have to happen. Um, that's not where I sit. And so um, I'm always very sure that as I'm kind of thinking about the, you know, analyzing the results of a, re a research or report that we're putting together, Will this resonate? Will this hit? Will this serve the needs of, of that team? Will the media be interested in this? So it's not that I'm not thinking about the headlines or kind of like extrapolating what's interesting of, of the research and the content that's coming out, but it's not the only place I'm, I'm considering. You're in a really good spot. You could say the catbird seed. You're, you're able to make sure that you're aligning the, the messaging that goes through marketing, through that's the right. comms, the PR that goes out to the media social media that you're trying to reach your influencers, your targets, and also you're essentially making sure that whatever you're building can be utilized in those channels. So at the end of the day, you're getting maximum output and outcome. Because like I said earlier, horrible to really produce a wonderful piece of thought leadership that nobody hears about. It's, uh, it's sad. Yeah, agreed. So, you know, you spent the early part of your career in tech and then tech services. And now the last couple of years, you've been looking at things from a non-tech business perspective. You've been looking at it from a human resource staffing point of view. Are there any differences from a thought leadership perspective in how you do thought leadership where you are today as opposed to your past life? I thought about this a lot because um, you and I talked about this and I've spent so much of my career on the tech side. So it's not like I can pretend I don't think about or have that as my, my baseline understanding. I think the difference is tech, oftentimes there's software, there's a service, there's a, a, a way of solving the world's problem using technology to do so, AI being the, the latest and the greatest. With the IT staffing, professional staffing, temp staffing, all the different parts that this, this community of major players serves, it's more about the way we serve clients. So it's still kind of service-based model but it's also in, in aligning to the needs of clients in a way that um, tech meets a need because it solves, it solves a business problem. Staffing solves a human challenge, right? The talent scarcity, the talent shortage, everything that like we're watching and seeing. We're, we're, you know, people are worried about the, the tech industry having all these mass layoffs. Well, the truth is there is still going to be a talent shortage in the years to come. We have an aging workforce globally. We have stratification of the workforce. Some, some people are not coming back into the kind of traditional white collar role. We don't like white and blue collar anymore. We're really thinking about new ways of, of describing that work because it's also changing. But being able to kind of look at the problem with that future of work lens, which is what we did and where you and I kind of came back into being at, at the Center for the Future of Work, the reason it works for me right now is that I've been able to, to take all the lessons learned on future of work and bring that knowledge forward to both uh, my former employer and my current employer, because these issues aren't going away. These are the biggest issues our generation's facing. This workforce, we're all thinking about it. It doesn't have to be tech to be relevant and important. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So at, at Jetco, you built a, a thought leadership function pretty much from scratch. We covered this at our Profiting from Thought Leadership Conference in Dana Point last November. But for the benefit of those who didn't attend physically or virtually, can you kind of walk through what you had to do to stand up this function and how you then operationalized it? Sure. So um, ironically, it was through WEF, 
<laughs> that I um, I met a woman named Cynthia Hansen who was running the foundation for the ADECO group. And it was a, it was a non-funding foundation. And uh, she had been handling the, the thought leadership in her, her group, her part of the business. She's the one that brought me in because she knew about the work we had done at Cognizant. And so it felt like it was just a perfect alignment and a perfect fit to be able to do what I had done uh, at Cognizant and go do it for this large European multinational company um, and talk about, and this is like when, when you and I were working together, we were talking about Center for the Future work. I used to say to people, well, talent, sorry, technology is this great enabler for, for Cognizant, right? We're talking about technology as, as the enabler for future of work at a deco group. And I remember telling the, the former CEO, I said, I'm here because I really like the idea of thinking about talent as the next enabler. So I think ultimately it's both tech and talent, but at the time it was like, I've already lived on the tech side. So now I'm going to come over to the, the talent side. And so kind of bringing that forward, I brought that knowledge with me when I came to, to stand up this, this function, because they were moving thought leadership back to the corporate function under the global um, function, uh, global comms team. So, so global leadership at ADECO kind of got repurposed under, under me and then building a small team. What I loved uh, about that group was I had social media and I had content that supported the function. We had uh, some research different than the research I now uh, have access to in my current role, but I was able to, to partner uh, with a couple of, of external players. And you had asked me that question, like, what's the difference if you need to kind of go outside to build media partnerships? And so we did that as a way to build the credibility for the ADECO group in the future of workspace more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So what were the, what were the challenges in pulling all of that together? And I know that events in particular played a big major role in getting your word out. Yeah, I would say this is going to be true of almost any job I've ever had. Not enough resources, not enough budget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it probably be very hard to, to do all the things you'd want to do. When you think about kind of the broad, the toolbox for thought leadership and the opportunities that that an individual would have. If it, you know, somebody's standing up a program, they could think about and when I presented at your conference, I showed this slide that was all about kind of how do you operationalize thought leadership? It's one thing to do good thought leadership, right? In bits and bytes. I can do a great eminence program at Cognizant and stand up our practice leads so that they get media, they get bylined articles, they get opportunities to speak. I can do those things as one project. I can do Center for the Future of Work, which is like broad, you know, 1836, 48 months out the world going to look like? Let me think about it. Here's my opinion, right? Very byline, very opinion driven. And that was great work as well. And then you've got the kind of the needs of how does, how do we support sales? So operationalizing thought leadership at ADECO became a number of those things, kind of stitching it all together and being able to um, sit and, and support, even though we were, we were a comms led team, we were very close to the marketing team as well. And I think in all cases, when you're doing corporate thought leadership, you have to, you have to be in relationship with, with all of the major functions, sales, marketing, and communications. There's no, no good thought leadership that, that gets done without those functions all coming together. And so um, at a deco group, we had a really solid social media presence. There were channels that were already opened and aligned. So I was able to take advantage and leverage the, the work we did there. We're talking about the, the magazine. So they had a newsletter and it was very long, all word, not very engaging, not uh, pithy, just just a lot of content that got mailed out. And we didn't grow the the user base. Uh, we sent it out, but we didn't we didn't do a lot to market it or to to improve the number of people reading it or subscribing to it. Didn't, didn't merchandise it, right? We didn't merchandise it. We didn't we didn't ask anyone what they wanted. It just didn't happen. It was just it was an asset, but it wasn't a well well used one. Let's say that. Uh, and so with the digital magazine, um, that's coming out of Cognizant. And think about the great work you and your team were doing, creating more than one magazine, right? You had, you had a number of great assets and you and I worked closely together where I would pull from the digital business and give you experts or give you the report or give you something so that you could you could build those, those uh, pieces. And so getting over to, to the ADECO group, we didn't have that. And I felt that that would be a better tool than the newsletter. 
And so because it was fresh, we could design it. We could really get punchy and creative and like make future of work more interesting to a, a an older traditional staffing company, right? And, and obviously there are a lot more than that, but at the time it was the perception of the company. I, I wanna be careful how I say that. The company had the perception of being an old staffing company. They're clearly doing a lot more and um, the space is very, very active now. But at the time, uh, that's that's kind of what I was walking into. So the magazine became just a way to catalyze the, the, the great work that was happening, the opinion, the knowledge, the fresh take, being able to elevate the thinking around what's going on in the market today. And so I think that was one of our, our best assets. I was really uh, excited when we got that one produced and out the door. And when I was at your conference, I was able to kind of show you the, the covers because they were really brilliantly, beautifully produced. Attention matters for sure. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, so what do you have planned at Manpower Group? So Manpower Group, um, it's a different role. It's Really interesting. So I, I head up uh, Global Insights. So it's not uh, it's not traditional thought leadership, and I love that it it kind of provides me an opportunity to do more uh, than I was able to do previously. And it's not a communication function where I where I am now. I'm able to really think about using deep data and really looking at uh, research that's available to us in house. There's a there's a really strong research component that I was not able to have in either of my previous roles. I'm really concentrated on that right now and seeing what the data tells us. So being able to kind of take a look, be able to leverage the data we do have, uh, and then kind of put the, this would be true of all thought leadership, right? Like content and assets and all the things that we create only are as good as kind of what the reader or the client or the person wants to know. And so we think about my small team, the so what. And answering that question and really creating the deep dive insights is where I'm focusing a majority of my time right now. Thought leadership kind of is an afterthought. It kind of comes later because I want to understand what the data tells me. So living and breathing and kind of really going deep on, on the data right now is, is brilliant. I think we're, we're just learning so much more. So how do you intend to craft this research uh, institute that could be the foundation the wellspring of all of your great ideas and thoughts. Yeah, uh, well, give me some time. I think eventually uh, I'd love to see us think maybe more about uh, kind of that that future. I don't want to call it the Center for the Future of Work 2.0, but I think moving towards something like that in, in our future would be amazing and, and different than what we did at Cognizant and very different than what I was able to do at, at a deco, but but creating something entirely new and that's different. And because I have access and the data is so good, I think that's the kind of um, anything that we create is going to come out of that data, really leveraging that. It, it stands to reason then your belief is that really strong foundational research, be it primary, be it secondary, absolutely, some combination of the two, quant and qual, is critical to thought leadership excellence and success. Would, so do you have any thoughts on how to? How to help the audience kind of operationalize that, how to how to make yeah. it. Um, well, I didn't always have access to the great data I do now. And that there's 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 so many ways to take advantage. So um at Cognizant, we did this with Techonomy. We didn't go after data, but we went after like content and development of, of bylines. Um I partnered with Ted uh, at Cognizant as well because I really wanted to see what we could do there and, and the pandemic kind of made uh, different plans for us, unfortunately, but but the opportunity was there. And then I really liked working with, for example, The Economist, when we were working, you were asking me about kind of the ADECO run up to WEF in 2022. Um, what I was after there was really understanding talent scarcity and wage inflation. Because if you remember during the pandemic, salaries were going way up, demand for talent, so great. Companies are like, can't hire enough, can't get people. That's just part of the glut that we're now reacting to. And that we're seeing in the tech world, if you think about it, a lot of the layoffs are because of that behavior. But at the time, really trying to understand like what's happening. And so um, the Economist uh, Impact Group helped us uh, build out a model and a research project so we could take advantage of their data, their, their marketplace understanding what was going on in terms of where the hot pockets were, what we're looking at in terms of, of City, where the the dollars versus 
the pound in all other parts of the world. So we looked at major markets and, and I was really excited because that was the survey we were able to kind of bring and promote and talk to on the ground in Davos for, for that particular World Economic Forum meeting. So they gave you the econometrics from which you then provide some perspective, some direction on how people should be thinking about the future state of the economy globally, which is, you know, people would pay a lot for that. And it's important to running your business. That's right. Exactly right. And and having that, um, and think about this too, when you're doing thought leadership, you know, we all have bias. Let's pretend it, it, but we do, we have data bias, opinion bias. We have, we have a lot of different things we look at and, and we can, partner sometimes with a, an outside vendor. And I think that kind of prevents some of the bias. And conscious I think and unconscious. Yes, absolutely. Really good for us to, to look at data that wasn't all of our own, some of our own, but also the, the external data in that case was very relevant for us to leverage. An external voice to hopefully bring light and truth to whatever it was that you're doing in an unbiased way. That's right. So we talked a little bit about, about media partnerships and sponsorships with large organizations. WEF in particular, you and I work very closely on that at Cognizant. And the thing that always surprised me to some degree was that people just think of WEF in terms of the annual meeting in Davos. They don't think about all the other opportunities to hear about the best and brightest ideas, to get your best and brightest ideas out into the marketplace and get recognition and maybe even revenue for those ideas. You know, people don't know that, you know, there's so many different global events you can partake in. issue-oriented platforms and programs and committees, such as uh, you know, focus on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, responsible and ethical use of AI and all. So, I mean, from where you sit and your experience, how do you make sure when an organization decides to have a partnership with the World Economic Forum, whether it's um, just getting started or a, a very major strategic partnership, how do you make sure you get your most out of it and get your thought leadership to the people that really matter? Well, WEF is like kind of the the one of the preeminent organizations that looks at issues globally, uh, issues that matter on many topics that, that we care about, ESG, technology, water, solar, fair and equity, you know, pay, all of those things. So there aren't too many global organizations I, I could align another company with. I'm not sure I, I can really think of them. There may be a few, but I remember having this very conversation with more than one executive, not just at Cognizant, but in other places as well, be able to say, if I could find another organization that would be able to support us in this way, I would I would point us there. But what I would do with, with WAF is, depending on where you come in and how you partner, and this is very specific to, to that organization, but in the eight, nine years that I've been working with you and others to support that, uh, that group, um, being able to kind of identify early who within the organization, you've got a kind of executive level sponsorship and support. And yeah, people love going to the mountain. I love going to the mountain and <laughs> being up there and, and doing what we do. But the, the real work for, for that organization gets done throughout the rest of the year. And I have to be sure that if I'm going to manage that the campaign or that relationship, the partnership overall, that I've been clear on where the other people within the organization can feed into the, the communities, the platforms, the work streams. And so it's not necessarily that I'm going to ask a CEO to spend all their time. They don't have time to do that, but I would certainly be looking at other um industry experts throughout the company that are willing to invest more time to support those platforms, to be able to write, participate in research where appropriate. There are a lot of good reports. Um, The WEF Future Jobs Report that just came out, we would have contributed to that. Other organizations, you and I know, would have contributed to that. And like, you should be really happy that, you know, we had something to say and we were, we had a meaningful contribution to work that's going to be seen by millions of people. The that's agenda a, blog too, you know. That's and I a, love that agenda blog. And to my friends that may or may not uh, watch this, uh, big fan. Just have had uh, tremendous success, and I love that they um, let us think about something that's relevant that we can come. And this is where my PR days come back. So even within the WEF, there's the kind of the PR component to be able to say, "Hey, I've got an executive who cares about AI and a new book. Can I write a blog? You know, can can we have his?" his blog come, or, hey, this really matters, we care about women, 
this would be a really relevant blog. Is this something you'd be interested in? So yeah, I'm not I'm not doing a hard sell and I'm not doing PR the way I would have done it, but I understand the need. And if the topic is relevant and matters to to my my colleagues, then being able to work with them to be able to get that content out is is very good placement for so, it. So it really comes down to this. If you're an executive looking at a strategic partnership or any partnership with WEF, you've got to look be, beyond the bright lights and big stage of Davos. Because right. where you really get to be heard, seen, and have impact and to understand what's going on in the world, it's those other programs that maybe are underappreciated but are so important. That's the only way you maximize your investment because it's it's not inexpensive to be a partner. That's exactly right. And you yeah. and I live through this. And do you remember, and I, I, I share this with your audience because I think it's so entertaining. <laughs> um, small world, always. We were we were so excited because we were going to kind of like get to finally go have a presence on the ground for the end meeting. So now going back to the the end meeting because like you know otherwise you're you're running around and we were we were like we're going to have a space and we finally got there and we we were always like if we bring a female because WEF tends to be very uh, male dominated and male white European male dominated. For the most part, it's changed a lot. I'm really proud to see the the improvements they've made. But, but still back low in the 20%, early days, though, right? Still low twenty percent women. And in the early days, when you and I were, were yeah. supporting through through Cognizant, we were like hard pressed to find the right executives to even attend Davos that would give us a a better diverse mix of people to attend. And I'm kind of building this yeah. up a bit. And we finally got our CFO to come, who was female, and we were delighted. I mean, I was I was celebrating not, that as much as anyone. Good. And she came first day, I think it was her first day. And we said, we'll, we'll get you a car. She slipped on the ice as many executives do and flew home to have surgery on her wrist. And she didn't get to do the event we had planned for her. How do we get this far to finally get her there? Very true. As discussed, the WEF annual meeting in Davos is what most company executives dwell on. Therefore, if you're planning to participate in the annual meeting next January, make sure your thought leadership is par excellence. When Mara and I worked together to bolster Cognizant's thought leadership presence in Davos a few years back, we were starting from scratch. Sure, Cognizant had attended the annual meeting for some time and had participated in WEF-organized sessions on tech's future and the growing global digital skills divide. Cognizant even sponsored an event with Carnegie Mellon on the future of technology and hosted a discussion on AI with leading IT luminary Eric Brynjolfsson. However, Cognizant hadn't really distinguished itself from a thought leadership perspective, yet we knew we had to step up our game. We started small with a breakfast to share Cognizant's thinking from its best-selling book, What to Do When Machines Do Everything. We learned an important lesson that day. The Davos crowd tends to sleep in. The next year, we scheduled a luncheon with our partner Hub Culture to discuss digital transformation based on a primary research report created with MIT. We also put on an event where we examined the fledgling commercialization of blockchain technology. That was based on our recently published primary research report. Both events featured cognizant SMEs and authorities from academia and the business world. The MIT event was standing room only. The blockchain event also drew well. Why did we succeed? Great topics, great execution on the content, a full court press to get attendees to our events. Reuters moderated and live streamed both events. They then carved up the video to drive post-event viewership on a variety of social media channels. The next year, we followed a similar formula. We put on two events that pivoted around primary research reports. The first was on leadership in the digital age, also produced with MIT. The second was our own report that examined workplace belonging from an employee perspective. We also hosted an invitation-only session on the evils of social media that pivoted around a soon-to-be-published book by the Cognizant Center for the Future of Work called Monster. Mara also placed one of our senior execs on a New York Times-sponsored debate on big tech regulations. Again, positioning our thought leadership at the center of these events attracted the attention of the movers and shakers who flocked to the WEF annual meeting in Davos in pursuit of solutions to the world's thorniest economic and societal challenges. It also gave some of our clients and hot prospects reason to visit with our execs. My top learning from the WEF annual meeting, partnerships are key to generating recognition and business success. And for Cognizant, the road to both began with our partnership with Mora. You touched on this a little bit, but if you could maybe think 
through it a little bit more and maybe give us a little detail, how you convert a great thought leadership program recognition into revenue. What are the, what are the metrics you need to capture the facts and figures to tell the story so that upper management understands and feels as if there's real benefit to be gained from doing a major thought leadership initiative? Yeah. Um, so this comes back to the kind of the operationalizing of thought leadership, like we talked about earlier and I talked about at your uh, event last fall. I think you've got to be able to make sure that all the stakeholders understand what you're trying to accomplish. In the case of Manpower Group, right, we are we are a very large global IT services with staffing, professional staffing, all kinds of things that we do. My goal is to create really great assets and content that can be used across sales, marketing, and communications. And I think when you when you get that right, um, maybe this is that moment where sales has another asset that's going to open up a dialogue with a client, and the client's going to be able to say, "I really trust what I just saw here. This is really interesting. I've thought about it this way. Oh, this research really bears out. Let me have a conversation." With the company so that we can solve my problems, and I think I think that's that's one of the things I'm noticing in in my current role. It's really great to be able to have so many different stakeholders that can use some of the same content that we're producing. It's early days. I haven't been here very long, but um, I think that that part of sales and giving them assets that can help them with their clients share that, give them the data. It's all about the data, right? Once you've got the data, absolutely. It's all about the data. <laughs> So, so given the ongoing economic uncertainty, uh, what advice do you give your fellow thought leadership professionals on where to place their program bets and what investments they should be considering? Yeah, um, I mean, I think everyone is 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 watching right now to see if this unsteadiness in the market is temporary or longer term. I'd say make good investments, and maybe it's doing less, not trying to boil the ocean, thought leadership, there's so many different tools. It's a big toolbox, which is which is an awesome thing if you've got the budget and the dollars and the team to support all the different ways you can go to the market with, with thought leadership assets. But you might think about one or two really important campaigns or programs that really matter, get to the heart of what you're really trying to do and start with that. And if if budgets free up, you add on and it becomes a, you know, kind of a, an ongoing thing to, to build from. Um, but there's right way to do this. And it would be unique for every one of your clients, obviously. And the folks that, that listen to you and other thought leaders, like it depends on where they are in their life cycle as an organization. If somebody's with a startup, they need brand awareness. They, they need to be seen. So I might invest money in that case as a young company with a media partner that can elevate me more quickly or elevate the company more quickly. A big company like Cognizant, you're doing different things. The company has a reputation, has an understanding. I might think about promoting um, new executives in the organization, for example, and being able to kind of show their value and what they believe is important for the future of their organization, right? When you have a change in management, always good to think about building that eminence program. That would be true of any size company, but in the case of a big one where you've got a, a turnover, for example, if you've got a company that's been kind of steady and, and going and you just want to amp up the, the thought leadership, then maybe that's a research report that's really timely and trend you know, worthy that you're going to kind of like become part of a conversation or, you know, you have a, you have permission to engage in a dialogue in the marketplace that might be more relevant because you've now got the credibility behind that, that research. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good sage advice. Thanks. You pointed, reflected back on the CFO who slipped and fell on the ice in Davos and broke a wrist and was unable to participate in a thought leadership event that we're putting on. Awful. but but you worked around that and and the event went fine and but but when you think about what what's the the trickiest predicament you found yourself in and then got yourself out of in the thought leadership portion of your career is there anything in particular that you look back on and say oh you know that was tough but we we persevered i think i probably be a couple of things earlier conversation you and i had in terms of setting expectations when i came in house and making sure that the folks that i was was working with and uh, four understood that the timing had nothing to do with the value of work 
or that the report and, and what was to come of that wasn't going to be well received by the market. That was very tricky for me. Um, that was probably one of the more challenging, more recent challenge uh, challenges that I faced uh, mm-hmm. as a thought leader professional. Going back to the the woman breaking her wrist, I mean, we had a whole setup with an outside media partner, and it is by the grace of God we had a very willing friend <laughs> at my current employer who was willing to step in. She killed it. She did as 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 well as anyone would have asked or expected beyond my expectations. Honestly, step in and and do what she did with no prep, no just willingness to come in and speak. And, and that is really pretty remarkable. That was a solve that I had not anticipated. And on the biggest stage in Davos to, to lose your, your star spokesperson is not, uh, not ideal. So I, I kind of have to say that might be one of the more recent ones that navigated. I've got one last question. It's a two-parter. So what's next for thought leadership and what's next for Amara? Oh, okay. Uh, so for thought leadership, I mean, I love that there are organizations like yours that are really putting a spotlight on what it is, what it isn't. I think it's really for folks that are in this profession. It can be anything from like people have the title that are just research and people have the title that are communication eminence. And some people are just like creating opinions and bylines. And so being able to kind of watch the profession come along, I think we're going to see kind of more of that merging and people getting a bigger understanding of what it is. But I love organizations like yours that are able to kind of put people in the same room to start to talk about it. Because I remember sitting at your conference and I had not attended and I, I was really excited that I got to come as a just as an attendee and listen to all of those amazing presentations. Um, you had a whole thing about podcasting. You had big players that the world understands and says, oh my gosh, these guys really do thought leadership well. And they do it well because they know how to produce hundreds of pieces of content a year. And like that's the standard. And then you had other players that were like, oh, we're not going to produce that much, but we're going to make it really valuable and really interesting. And, and so putting folks and doing more of that, I think our profession is going to continue to evolve. But I don't, I don't see our future. I think our future looks pretty bright. We're becoming a much more strategic part. And this is where I think you and I can continue to think about this. Like, do we belong in marketing? Do we belong in sales? Or does thought leadership serve kind of its own function? And remember, this is this is what where I came from, not in my current role, but in my last role, it was stood up as its own separate function. And for me, that was um, that was interesting because that's not the way it always goes. And I think. When you start to look at all the different pieces that that serve this, you may start to see it as its own function in, in other companies. I think I wouldn't be surprised if if good operationalized thought leadership becomes uh, its own part of the company. Potentially, I would I wouldn't be surprised. And your progression as a thought leadership professional, where do you see that heading? No idea. <laughs> I wish I knew. Every day is an adventure. Um, I love the work I do, and for me, and, and you know. Well enough, because how long have we? Longer than we want to say, yes. 20 years later plus. It's going to always, for me, truly in any role, whether I own a business or I'm working for for a large company like I am now, it's about the relationships and the people. And I say that because what what I found in my new role we created new assets in record time because we had the the opportunity to get together to think about what were we trying to do. And so would I know that that's what I would show up and be prepared to to create? Not necessarily. I was just trying to get my arms wrapped around and assess what we could do, what the options were. And so being able to watch that happen was remarkable. Well, enjoy the adventure. I know that you're going to be successful. You collect great ideas, great people relationships, as you point out, and new ways of thinking and presenting information and ideas that are going to be critical to whoever your target market is. So kudos to that. Kudos to a great career. And thanks for joining us in Everything Thought Leadership. Great conversation. Thanks for having me. Mara's progression through the thought leadership profession from PR and strategic marketer to program leader offers valuable lessons to us all. First off, great thought leadership can only emerge from a team of talented people working seamlessly as one. This starts with the big ideas generated by the subject matter experts at your firm. 
But for these breakthrough ideas to achieve your lofty objectives and gain recognition and generate revenue for your firm, you need to enlist the talents of a multidisciplinary team, researchers who collect facts, figures, and evidence to substantiate your SME's deep thinking, writers and editors who craft a compelling narrative, make sure the big ideas presented are understood by the target audience, graphic artists who bring big ideas to life by creating highly engaging designs and packaging, and marketers who ID resonant messages and best channels to promote the resulting set of assets. Mara has excelled because she understands that thought leadership excellence comes down to triangulation, while gaining trust up and down the food chain. This starts with the thought leaders themselves, whose egos can be ginormous. Here, her advice is to acknowledge their expertise, but then be your best human and lead with your credentials. Show all on your team how you can help contribute to more successful results whether it is argument framing, writing, design, or messaging. Mara believes that thought leadership should sit separately and work in support of marketing, PR, and sales. Hearing these folks' perspectives and understanding their needs will ensure that the resulting asset or set of assets drives brand recognition and revenue. This means getting together early and often with these folks on thought leadership priorities that advance your firm's position as an expert uniquely positioned to solve your client's key business challenges. Importantly, this approach will help ensure that your thought leadership not only serves the needs of the business, but will be used by your salespeople. This should be very useful with the higher-ups when they ask for an accounting of thought leadership's contribution to business value. Meeting the requirements of sales is huge because clearly they have a big say in whether your company meets internal forecasts and if your firm is public, the expectations of Wall Street. This approach came in handy when Mara stood up and operationalized the thought leadership function at her previous employer, ADECO. will serve her well as she builds out a research institute and digital hub at her current employer, Manpower Group. Creating eminence is something that Mara has excelled at over the years. Her joint use of partnerships is uber critical, whether through media partnerships, think tank associations, and are working with prestigious organizations like the World Economic Forum. Lastly, Mara believes that in tough times, thought leadership must focus on topics that really matter to customers today. Boiling the ocean in times of economic uncertainty won't work and could be career-threatening. That's great advice, similar to what we tell our clients. Thanks for joining us in Everything Thought Leadership. We look forward to seeing you here soon. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd left a like and share this episode with your colleagues. Everything Thought Leadership is a video and podcast series from Boudet TLP for thought leaders and thought leadership professionals, the people who help experts get recognized as thought leaders. You can find out more about Boudet TLP at bidettlp.com.